Hi, this is Laura Lee Griffin. And this is Nikki May with the Stardust Society, inspiring you to stop getting in your own way and start building an art biz and life that you love. We are artists who believe strongly in the power of community, accountability, following your intuition, taking small, actionable steps, and breaking down the barriers of fear and procrastination that keep you stuck. Follow along with us on our creative business journey as we encourage you on yours. So Nikki, who are we talking to today? Today, we're talking to Mary Beth Shaw, a fabulous artist, product creator, educator, and author who I met over a decade ago. Mary Beth has been a full-time artist for 20 years. She's participated in indoor and outdoor art fairs, juried competitions, and gallery shows. She's the founder of Stencil Girl, where she produces and sells stencils of her own designs and those of many other artists. She's also the author of Flavor for Mixed Media and Stencil Girl, two books that she wrote, and is a columnist for Somerset Studios Magazine. She teaches workshops in many mixed media techniques and finds pleasure helping her students find their own voice. Welcome to the Stardust Society podcast, Mary Beth. Thanks, Laura. I'm happy to be here. We're so excited to have you. And by the way, that book that Nikki mentioned, I own. <laughs> Didn't even realize that was yours. Very, very oh, cool. Yay. <laughs> the Flavor for Mixed Media. Very cool book. Um, so I think we like to get started by having you share your stardust story with our listeners. So we'd love to sort of hear about that transition you had from working in insurance to then moving to focus on your art, which is a pretty big jump, right? It was a huge jump. And it happened in the year 2000 when um, we were living in San Francisco, my husband and I. And um, I was I had a great job. I had a lot of autonomy and flexibility. It was all good. I was making great money. But my husband had a really good job. And it was the first time in my life I was kind of looking around thinking, hmm, my income is not really pertinent to this picture. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, that brought a lot of ideas of freedom into my brain. And I thought, there's got to be something else I could do that would be more interesting than insurance. So I decided that in the year 2000, I wanted to quit my job. And so I did. Um, And I really thought I wanted to explore my creativity, but I thought it would be more as a writer because I had always been a writer. I majored in journalism and public relations. And I never, I mean, I was a artist as a kid. I mean, we're all artists as kids, right? Absolutely. And I guess I just hadn't I mean I had been playing around with rubber stamps all those years but I that was kind of the extent of my art was making greeting cards that I sent to my friends and one thing led to another and I found myself um feeling more comfortable with visual expressions and artistic expressions than written Mm -hmm. expressions it was like I couldn't string a sentence together so (laughs) I don't know so when you when you quit your job you You didn't know you knew you wanted to do something creative, but you didn't know what it was. So did you just start exploring, start trying different things? 
I did. I started out by doing um, Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way. Uh-huh. Yes. And I, I was in a just like a little kind of a group led by this um, licensed clinical social worker. And so we would meet once a week and do the assignments in the book. And it was really wildly helpful to me to help me process all those things that were in my head then, because I was just very much like kind of on a search. But I did the artist dates. I did morning pages. I religiously followed the book. Nice. Yeah. And and so once you did that, it started getting a little bit more clear of the things that you enjoyed the most. It did. It really did. I made my first collage as an assignment in that book. It um, you know, you do some mind mapping and, right. you know, things like that. And I made my first collage and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so fun. Cutting stuff up and pasting it together. I just loved it. And that prompted me to start seeking out collage classes. And mm-hmm. and I kind of was did some research on who are the best collage teachers and so I studied with um, Claudine Helmuth. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm sure remember that name. And Jonathan Talbot. Oh, he's amazing. He was so amazing. I took a five-day workshop with him, which was just glorious. And um, and then Anne Baldwin. She happened to live in Northern California. And I met her. And I became part of a group of, oh, I don't know, kind of an inside group that I guess I was an Ann Baldwin groupie. (laughs) But we would do things like we would take advantage of the fine art opportunities in the San Francisco area. So we would do gallery trips or museum trips. And we would really stand there and analyze the art. And um, in addition to her teaching me, she was very much a mentor of mine, too. Nice. And then I took some classes at um, UC Berkeley Extension in San Francisco, which was great too. So then how did you go from just playing around with different things, making collages, taking all these classes to turning it into your empire? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, necessity is, what is that phrase? The mother of invention. The mother of invention. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So You know, I found myself doing all these visual expressions and I started really painting and doing more mixed media work and people were interested and I entered some juried competitions. I sold some work. I found some people in Sausalito that I met. I started sharing a studio there in Sausalito. I love Sausalito. I know. It was just like, it was like, oh my God, I am truly living the dream, right? Yeah, (laughs) definitely. And the company my husband worked for went out of business. Oh. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. So my safety net was sort of instantly ripped out from under me. And there we were sitting in San Francisco in a wildly expensive piece of property. Neither of us were employed. (laughs) And it was just like, okay, now what? Okay. Yeah. Right, right. And my husband's 15 years older than me. So he was at that age where he was not as desirable in the workforce as we might have hoped. And right. Anyway, he had just been making too much money at two high ends of 
you know, management, et cetera, et cetera. And he just couldn't find a job. That's all there was to it. And people were not willing to hire him for a lesser kind of job. So we got to the point where we had to make a decision and we decided to move back to St. Louis because, you know, that was our dream. No, that was not our dream. (laughs) (laughs) That was so not our dream. Our dream would have been to stay in Northern California, but. Yeah. So are you both from St. Louis? No, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, and he's from okay. rural central central rural Illinois. So, um, okay, St. Louis was kind of home for him. His daughter lived here, and um, she's our only child. And um, she had just had her first baby, so our first grandson had been born, mm-hmm. and. We just decided, you know what? We've lived there before. We know we can live here much more economically. Let's just do it. And so we did. We moved back. And my husband, God love him, he just, he approached my art career like he would have approached any professional project in his his own career. Oh, that's fantastic. I know. He sat down and he's like, okay, you want to do this thing. How are we going to do it? Let's dedicate a certain amount of time to doing this. So we basically decided that outdoor art fairs would be the easiest way for me to probably earn a living and that we would dedicate two years to that. And and he would help me. And um, that was what we did. And it was, it was an extraordinary thing, really. It's so much work. It is so much work. And I tell people who ask me that, I mean, it looks like it's really fun when you're sitting there in a tent and everybody's walking around drinking their beverages and it's a beautiful night and they're all looking at the art. But (laughs) I mean, behind the scenes, it is so much work putting up a tent, waiting for, is the weather going to hold? Are you going to be sweating to death? Is a tornado going to rip through the show? You know, whatever. It was just not for the faint of heart. Yeah, I've only done I've only done two festivals. They were both the Lower Town Art and Music Festival here in Paducah, where I only had to carry my stuff two blocks down from my house. And it's still a huge amount of work. I can't imagine. Did you travel all over the country for shows? We stayed in the um, greater Midwest area. And okay. I, you know, sometimes when you get involved in things and you don't know enough about it, so you start at like the wrong place, you know, Uh huh. that uh-huh. was me. I didn't know <laughs> enough about it. <laughs> I had no idea what like the beginner shows were. So I entered all like the high end top shows because yeah. I didn't know any better. <laughs> and it wasn't because I was that confident or anything. I just started at the top and I got into these crazy good shows and and um, I did okay. I did okay, but it That's was still awesome. a lot of work. So I did like um, I did the Kansas City, the Plaza Art Fair. I did St. Louis. I did um, most of the bigger, well-known shows. Mm-hmm. Like there was one up in Minnesota that I did, and um, different ones. You know, of course, I did one in my hometown of Cincinnati. Cool. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it's like I won some prizes. I made some money. It's it's kind of a fun way to earn a living. It's like you meet a tribe of people, which yeah. found this in different instances of my life. It And I mm-hmm. find that that is what makes makes life worthwhile, I guess, if you can find your tribe. And 
And you probably saw a lot of those people along the way as you were traveling. You, you were do. All at the same it's just event. almost like a traveling circus or something. <laughs> you know? We'd all pack up <laughs> well, and then see each other at the next town, you know? <laughs> there's that mentality and that sort of thing in, in all different areas of art. Like I know, Mary Beth, I met you at the IEA Encaustic Conference. I don't remember which one, maybe Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. It was in San Santa Antonio. Fe. Santa Fe. Yeah. And, um, and so I have a tribe of encaustic friends and then Laura and I met through the, the surface design world. And, you know, there's a whole group of people who all know each other in that world. And Mm -hmm. so, and the same with art festivals. Yeah. And, um, somewhere in Texas, we did one of their shows too. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. And it was interesting because that's how I originally learned about you, Mary Beth, is that I went to the Great American Scrapbook Convention probably, I don't know, 10 ish years ago. And you had a booth there uh, with your fabulous stencils. So um, it's it's pretty amazing. That's that's like the crafting world, right? It is. It is. And when um, I'm glad you brought that up, Laura, because the line between art and craft is one that I have always straddled. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, when I because and I think part of it was in my head is like I was a rubber stamp girl. Right. And I was, too. That's how I started. So, yeah, yeah so many of us started as rubber stampers or scrapbookers. And um, then I moved into this fine art world and it was almost like I didn't want to be discovered. Like, oh, my God, I hope nobody finds out I'm really a rubber stamper. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I so get that. I so get it. I'm going to travel underground as a fine artist, right? And then when it's so funny that you said, Nikki, about the encaustic, because I remember when I did my talk that day or my presentation, Mm -hmm. I just totally outed myself in public and I had never done that before. And I said... I come from the rubber stamp world. Anybody else? And like everybody in the room raised their hand and it blew my mind because I realized. Well, yeah, a lot of people start that way. I didn't. I designed rubber stamps, but I never used them. (laughs) I like them, but I've never I never use them. But I do love I do love using stencils. Oh, nice. I know I've transitioned over. Now I can't. It's weird. It's like for me, I can't go back to use rubber stamps. I like don't use them right. I mess them up every time. I think that the um, the flexibility with stencils is so much more than rubber stamps. You can use them in so many different ways. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about your transition from you were you were doing um, you were doing these art festivals And what is it that you were showing there? Paintings, collage? In the beginning, I was doing mixed media collage and they were um, they were the kind of collage where you take the vintage person and I would craft a scene around the person. And but what I did, which I thought made mine really successful, was I would put a saying on it. So Uh I would either type it up on a vintage typewriter or something like that. And I would glue a saying on the piece. And I did not want my sayings to be inspirational. Like it was, you know, it was kind of the day when everybody was doing 
dream, you know, <laughs> you, you know, like follow your heart, <laughs> reach for the stars. So what did yours say? Well, mine were a little edgier. <laughs> so, Give us an example. For instance, I had I had a girlfriend who had all these vintage pictures of her like great, great, great uncle who was a cross dressing vaudeville performer from Italy. Oh, nice. <laughs> right. So I lucked into this stash of photos that was just simply extraordinary. And so I would use him and I named him Victor. And so I would use Victor in a lot of my work. And usually he was wearing some unbelievably crazy get up, you know. And so one, I had a I had Victor, which he was a bodybuilder. And I had a picture of Victor wearing a tutu and he had a parasol, a woman's parasol. And so I crafted this scene around him. And then my saying was, Victor says, don't forget to wear your rubbers. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Mary Beth, do you have images of some of these that we could share in the show notes? I do, yeah. I would love to see one or two of those. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And I did lots of things with pictures of me when I was a kid. And I was Mm -hmm. just like, like I would wear these really unfortunate outfits, you know, and it was me standing on the front porch wearing this crazy unfortunate outfit. And (laughs) the saying was, wear it like you mean it. (laughs) And so, I mean, I guess they were kind of either funny and or inspirational, but in different edgier ways. It was very popular. Isn't your Stencil Girl logo with the image of you? That's me too. Yeah, I thought so. I thought so. Yeah, I was one of those kids. I was like really, really cute until I got to about five or six or seven. And then... I had to wear Coke bottle glasses and I had buck teeth. And then I like went through like probably 20 <laughs> ugly years before I kind of could afford to get. Before you got cute again? Yeah, before I got cute again. <laughs> Lordy. <laughs> okay, so tell us about the transition from the art festivals and the collages to starting to use stencils and turning it into a business. Right. I, um, you know, I was always trying to develop ways to earn money because I I mean, aren't we all? (laughs) I I know. And it's about multiple streams of income. You know, you have to develop these multiple streams or else you're never going to make it work. And the art fairs are only a certain time of the year, you know, so the rest of the year. So I got involved with this, um, this store here locally and I met some interior designers who were doing um, like faux finishing on walls and um, they were using stencils and I thought wow these are so cool because when I knew stencils it was like these cruddy really thick blue stencils that you would maybe just do a little border of ducks in a baby's room or something it wasn't anything (laughs) like what I was right Right, right. And I thought, wow, these are so cool. Why should they just have these for the faux finishing world? These need to be like, these need to be in my world too. And they were all so crazy expensive. And anyway, so I became interested in it and I started to dabble in hand cutting stencils that I was using Mm -hmm. in my own work. And by Mm -hmm. this time, we were probably up to 
maybe 2007, 2008, when the recession was um, rearing its very ugly head. And it was not Mm -hmm. a good time to be standing in a tent trying to sell art, right? Right. Right. So I'm trying to think about what's going to be my next thing. We had done the shows for five years. And um, so anyway, I put in a teaching app out at ArtFest in um, Port Townsend, Washington, the Tisha Moore event that used to happen out there. Did either of you go uh-huh. to that? Mm-mm, no. Yeah. Well, I, um, I went to it in 20, 2007. Cause one of my friends said, you should be teaching out there. And I'm like, no, I don't know. I just, I'm not sure. And so he talked to me into going out there. And so I went out there in 2007 and I looked around and I thought, yeah, I should try to teach here. Nobody is actually teaching <laughs> what I'm doing. You know, there were right. a lot of really great teachers, but not doing exactly what I was doing. So for the next right. year, I put in my app and I, I did get accepted to teach. So then um, people saw my stencils and my students became interested in buying them, but they were hand cut. I mean, there was no way. So I decided, you know what, I think I'll have a few of these manufactured. So I had Mm -hmm. six of my designs manufactured. And um, of course, that was the year I didn't get accepted to teach out there. Mm. And I'm like, oh, great. So I decided, now what am I going to do with all of these things? Right. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take my stencils out there and I'm going to go ahead and vend these six stencils. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I had a, you know, six foot long table and with six piles of stencils, no packages, no signage, no nothing. I sold out, I had a hundred of each design. Wow. And I sold out in less than 30 minutes. Oh, my gosh. It was like a bunch of sharks descended on the table. What I did when I got out there, and this has been kind of my, um, how we run the business. I decided that the best way to sell the stencils was to get them in the hands of teachers who knew how Mm. to use them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's smart. I went to all my friends and I gave them a set of the six stencils. So I kind of seeded the waters before the so smart event started. So by the time the event started, everybody had seen them in their classes already and they wanted to buy them. And um, so it just ended up being and I've always kind of run the business like that, just kind of from my gut. Like, what does my mm-hmm. gut tell me is the right thing to do here? You know, and Mm -hmm. it's like, well, if I can't be out there showing them, I want my friends to be out there showing them. So, yeah. And I remember that just going to I used to be a designer member of the Craft and Hobby Association. And you would go to those shows and go to like to the Ranger booth, for example, and see like somebody's demoing either, you know, Tim Holtz or someone is demoing the latest thing. And it's like hotcakes. Right. I mean, it's that's so smart to put your product in the hands of the teachers because everybody wants to create what the teachers are creating and they need the same tools, right? They do. And I mean, as intuitive as it might seem to use a stencil, there's a lot of intricacies about it. So mm-hmm. there are things that are helpful to know when you're starting out and that um, can enable you to be more successful right out of the box. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it definitely makes a difference. I know I've used your stencils before for um, doing sort of intuitive layered acrylic paintings mm-hmm. where you can just build the layers on top of each other and have those those stencil images peeking through the layers. I just I, I'm fascinated by that. It's just so much fun. 
Yeah, I like that too. The um, the idea of pattern, you know, coming forward and receding, and the in mm-hmm. because I use them primarily in my abstract work. Yeah, me as well. So, how did you go from a table of un unlabeled, unpackaged <laughs> stencils <laughs> to being stencil girl? Oh my God! So that was so funny. The next day, I was walking around there on campus at Art Fest. And um, all these people were talking about the stencils. You could hear like this little rumble, you know, like it was the talk. And in the cafeteria, people were like, who was that stencil girl? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, ah, it was me. And I I got all excited. And I just remember calling my husband and um, I said, oh, my gosh, I think we might be on to something. People loved the stencils. And so I came home and I bought, I don't know, some kind of box website. I put my little six stencils in there and I got this picture of myself as a child. And I started using Stencil Girl and I I have trademarked that name. And um, I just I don't know. I just intuitively felt like I needed to move forward with it. And I didn't honestly ever envision it would be as large as it is today. Um. I just had an idea. So if you ever decide you need a rebranding, I'm totally imagining Stencil Girl as a superhero. (laughs) Give her a little cape. (laughs) Yeah, she gets a cape. But her her cape looks like a stencil and her tiara looks like a stencil and she's going to save the world with stencils. So that's so (laughs) sweet. Keep keep me in mind when you're ready for a rebrand. (laughs) My dad will say, I never did get any royalties for that photo. (laughs) 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 Because, um, you know, I. And so I designed six and then I did six more. So I had a dozen stencils and I was kind of like, okay, I'm done. (laughs) No, you weren't. No, you weren't. (laughs) I wasn't. And then um, actually it kind of goes back to encaustic, Nikki, because Trish Uh Segabrosh came up to me and said, you know what? I have a couple designs that I would like to have. Would you consider Mm -hmm. making some for me? And I had to give it some thought. And then I thought, you know, that's not a bad idea. Why not do it like, like publishers do, like where we do the costs and, you know, we bear all the costs of manufacturing and so forth. And then we pay uh-huh. a royalty to the designing uh-huh. artist and that allows the designing artist to have some passive income, which is what every artist needs. We all know that. Yes, we right? do. So I thought this might be an idea. So from my insurance days, of course, I knew a lot about contracts. So I wrote a contract. Nice. You go, girl. Because isn't that what people do? Like an idiot later, my attorney's (laughs) like, really? You know, he's like, this is pretty good, but we could tweak it. (laughs) So, um, So Trish was your first artist? Trish was our first. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so were you still having somebody else manufacture them or did you start doing the manufacturing? Well, we thought that it would be great if we had a way to test the stencils. Mm -hmm. And I think when we bought our first laser, I think we did foolishly think we were going to do all of our manufacturing, but that quickly ended. It was like, 
Okay. We bought the... Well, con- you had no idea of the scale you were going to yeah, get vol- to, did the you? the volume that you have, right? Exactly. I had no idea of the volume. The lasers did allow us to test a lot of product and to put mm-hmm. a lot of designs up quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't have trouble with making decisions. You might have gathered that. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I would say, you know, sometimes people will ask you, what is your greatest strength? And I think my greatest strength is the ability to fly by the seat of my pants. That's fantastic. I need to learn how to do that, just so you know. <laughs> yes. Laura's middle name is overthinking. Yes. Well, no, I do that also, but then I oh, still okay. go ahead with it. So I kind okay. of run them simultaneously in my head, but then... Um, You're the perfect balance of me and Laura because I'll do things, I'll make decisions way too quickly. She'll overthink it, but you have the balance of being able to merge them both interesting i i really don't know where i got that skill set but um i think part of it comes from i've had some really bad crap happen to me in my life and i Mm -hmm. so i sort of run my whole life with the well it can't be any worse than what i've been through you know (laughs) you know that's sort of running in the background (laughs) hey if that if that makes you able to get things done then (laughs) more power to you it helps you have that leap of faith right well, it does. It does. And um, yeah, so get, getting our first laser machine was um, it was a big step for us. It really helped us to to throw a lot of designs against the wall, see which ones our clientele was going to like and to start building mm-hmm. um, a clientele. And I mean, I didn't even have a really a mission statement at that time that kind of came later. So what is your mission statement? Well, I would say that. I don't have it formally written out, but I know what it is. And it is basically to educate people on how to use stencils and to create community through the use of stencils. And Mm -hmm. when I do those things, the stencils sell themselves, basically, you know? Yeah. Education and community are what everybody is looking for. So if you can provide those things, then... Really, they'll buy anything from you. <laughs> well, and I didn't. I think, again, it was it was very intuitive. I have always felt that I was the demographic, that I'm our client avatar, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm the person. I was making things in a bedroom, in a condo, you know, trying to heal myself from past hurts, trying to find other people to do this with me. And, you know, that was what I wanted. Now that advent of the internet has just enabled this and ramped it up. Oh, yeah. So you went from your website that had, you know, 12 designs on it. You started adding in some designers to come help and you created your contract with your royalties. Then how did you expand from there? Well, it um, it just was like a kind of a snowball going downhill. I mean, it just like kept gathering more snow and it was getting bigger and bigger. And I was kind of getting beyond my, um, my skill set. You know, I just (laughs) am like the idea girl, you know, I get the ideas and then I'm like, Oh my God, I'm in over my head. (laughs) 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 
<laughs> so I knew it was just me. It was my husband. My husband's the money guy. And that was kind of always what he had done when he was working um, for corporations is he was he was more sales money, you know, so he's really good at that kind of thing. So he could obviously handle the royalties and keep track of the monies and so forth. But I felt like I needed somebody who could actually do the day-to-day running of the business because I still wanted to be an artist and I need that in my soul (laughs) to be an artist. And Mm -hmm. so I reached out to my son-in-law who is a chemical engineer with a master's in chemical engineering. (laughs) Wouldn't seem like the first guy you might pick, but he's wildly creative. And Uh he was working in the automotive industry at that time, and he was so just not satisfied with his job, you know? And so I kind of reached out to him in the way that, hey, we're thinking about adding, you know, a third person to this. Sit down, crunch some numbers and see what you would need to come on board with us. And I teased him the whole way because he's my son-in-law. So um, my stepdaughter's husband. So I Mm -hmm. said, you know what? It doesn't get much worse than this, dude. You're going to be working with your (laughs) stepmother-in-law. It doesn't get much worse than this. It's the worst of all family relationships. (laughs) Right, right. This is never going to work, but we're going to give it a shot. How long have the three of you been working together? Well, we start, I started the company in 2010 and I would say he came in probably about the three-year mark maybe and just brought such creativity such ideas um it's like the three of us are really the perfect trio to run the business that's fantastic awesome yeah it's just been great and i mean other than my grandsons at dinner going, why do we have to talk about stencils all the time? Because <laughs> we had this thing. I mean, since I didn't ever, uh, you know, I wasn't ever blessed with having my own children, you know, to have Beth, I've claimed her, my stepdaughter and her boys as my, you know, they are. Well, my, of course they're yours. They're your family. And so we would always be talking about troubleshooting yeah. our business. And I said, one day they'll be sending <laughs> you to college. And that's where we are today. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I know that you also still um you still do some teaching. I know you've come to Paducah and have taught at Ephemera Paducah multiple, multiple times. How does that fit in with the stencil side of things? And where did the books come in? Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes looking back, it's like, wow, how did I do all that? I don't know. (laughs) It's a lot. It is. It's all related, but... It is all related. And I think that... um, I have always just tried to do what felt really authentic to me. When mm-hmm. I was contacted about writing my first book, I declined. I said, no, mm-hmm. I don't think so. I don't really think I want to write a book. And I taught you, Jenny, she was so, what? <laughs> you, what? <laughs> you don't want a book? And I kept saying, no, I I'm not going to write a book until I can think of an angle that brings something new to the mixed media world. I don't want to just be this glob on that says the same thing everybody's saying. So what was the approach when she asked you about doing a book? What what did she want? 
Well, she just wanted me to figure out what it was for me. And I didn't okay. know. So I had to spend a lot of time thinking about that. And then I got to thinking about the idea that it, um, I think making art is so much like cooking. It's like, um, you know, texture, flavor, you know, spice, you know, all these different things yeah. that are relevant to cooking are so relevant to making art too. So that was the premise of my first book, Flavor for Mixed Media. Ah, Which is the one the I have. The second book was obviously just every way I could think of to use a stencil at that time. Yeah, yeah. And what I love about your stencils, too, is like Nikki mentioned that she met you through encaustic and and I did through the crafting world and through mixed media painting. But because they're sort of heat resistant, right, you can actually use them for encaustic. So there's so many different like uses of them. And I'm sure you cover all of that. It's amazing all the ways people use them. I mean, anything from glass work to metal to encaustic to jewelry to wood burning to the normal normal whatever normal whatever normal is right paint (laughs) right so yeah they're very versatile yeah i used some most recently in um in a a cold wax class that i took at ephemera yes yes these days i kind of view that as part of my purpose is to always be thinking about how to use the stencils, which I really love because I I love the mad scientist part of pushing the products to their edge and using right. them in ways that might not be typical. I really love that. Like, I'd love to just get a product and start using it really without ever knowing what it's supposed to be used for. Sometimes you get into trouble, but usually I can't figure my way out. You know? <laughs> Yeah, that that's that whole other creativity element. You know, you're doing something creative, but then you're pushing those boundaries and seeing what else can I do? I mean, as a teacher, that's really useful, too, because you're giving people all these new ideas that they and techniques they can use, which brings me to this past year. So 2020 was a tough year for a lot of creative businesses, um, especially in the teaching world, because a lot of classes weren't being held in person anymore. How did how did COVID impact your business? Well, I think that we were oddly prepared because we had a pretty strong presence on the internet. And I had been live streaming really since the beginnings of live streaming. And so we made a pivot to mm-hmm. online, online, online. And I started live streaming as much as I could manage physically. And it really. You did a lot. I remember seeing quite a few. I know. And um, I felt like, I mean, again, I am the client, you know, I was at home. I was lonely. I wanted to make art. I was scared. I didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. The whole bottom had fallen out from everything. So I just felt like I am the client. That's how they're all feeling, too. They can't see their parents. They can't see their kids, their grandkids, et cetera, et cetera. So all we can do is try to work with what we have and make some art. And I've always considered art somewhat of a self-soothing activity for myself. And so I sort of went on that premise. But to me, self-soothing doesn't mean that you're, you know, wallowing in tears. It means you're having fun and it's about community. And so that was what I tried to do was to keep that going online. So you did a lot of live streaming. Um, did you do you also have online courses? 
We do. We have a um, we have an education portal called um, mm-hmm. stencilgirlstudios.com. Right. And, right. and we'll I, link we'll link to all the different yes, parts okay. of it in the show and notes. We have I have some classes on there and some of our designers also have classes on there. Um, so we have those classes and then whenever our stencil designers are teaching, we like to help them publicize if, if they want our help, we're happy Mm -hmm. to share that with our audience. So I just only think it makes good sense to, um, share with people. Definitely. Definitely. And that's kind of been my approach to everything is, you know, Hey, look at this stencil, look what this can do. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's all about the sharing. Well, let's talk a little bit about all the things you share on your different websites, because I know that you'll share what what other what some of your stencil designers are doing. And I know you have some of them write columns for you. And I know Kristen, I don't know if she's still doing it, was writing a column for you and Kristen Williams. Talk a little bit more about how you work with other artists and the back and forth Yes. Well, social media has been obviously so important for us Mm -hmm. to grow our business. So early on, I think we sort of picked the places we felt more comfortable. And it was mainly Instagram and Facebook. So we had Instagram and Facebook as our primary social media um, platforms. Then Mm -hmm. we've also had a blog where we offer a lot of regular, I mean, pretty much everyday programming on our blog. So um, when you look at those three places to fill the material that feeds those places comes Mm -hmm. from either our design team, which is a creative team that works with us to just use the stencils and to create projects. Mm-hmm, right. So that's one group of people. And then we have another group of people called our columnists. And it was my idea to um, make our blog more of kind of like an online magazine where you would see this monthly column from a person that's maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more in depth than just a blog post. And you would right. see a recurring theme from a columnist. And so mm-hmm. I thought that would be great. Well, then somewhere along the way, I kind of lost um, I didn't realize what all YouTube was doing. So we've spent a lot of time trying to grow YouTube recently because mm-hmm. I think I just thought YouTube was another social media platform. But then it became clear to me that it's actually a big, big search engine and that that's yeah, information yeah, is going to live on for years. So mm-hmm. um, right. we started trying to do more on YouTube as well. And um, it's a lot. It's a lot of balls yeah, up in the air. Yeah, it is. There, there is a lot of content that you're having to create. And especially when it's educational content, there's a lot of work that goes into that that people don't always realize. So you have these different um, design team you mentioned in the, and your columnists that support you. Um, do you open the design team up once a year or um, how do people join those? Yes, we just um, we just announced a new group of people in May. And so our old team left and our new team came forward. And it's always fun when you get a new group of people. And how do you put these groups together? 
Well, we seek applications and um, we look at the work that people have done and um, how it matches up with what we're doing. We'd like to have diversity in the work. We like to have diversity in our people. We Mm -hmm. look at a lot of different things. Um, So it's not all about how many followers they have on Instagram. It's more about who they are as a person and what they're going to bring this you know, compatible with what we believe, but also different and helps us expand what we believe because we really, um, I like to cross cultures, cross countries and, um, you know, stencils for the whole world. (laughs) So you have designers that, that create stencil designs for you, but then you also have your creative team that makes work from stencils. Right, so right, that's right. two different groups of people. I guess maybe there's some overlap, maybe. There is some overlap. What almost always happens is that the people that come on as our creative team almost always decide they want to design stencils. They're like, ooh, now that I've used right. these, I have some new right. ideas, too. And sometimes it works out great, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but it's like, it's all about the, what the creative team does. It's more about they're helping us with our publicity and our education because mm-hmm. our artist designers design the stencils, but then I don't have an expectation that they're going to spend every working hour promoting their own stencils. Right. I mean, they have a lot of other work to do as well. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if somebody was interested in designing some stencils for you, how would they go about that? Yes. Well, we do have an application and they would contact Carol Baxter, Carol at stencilgirlproducts.com. And she has an application that we've developed through the years that um, kind of gives them the walkthrough of everything they need to know. And do you have that information on your website? Um, No, she can send it to each person individually. Yes. Okay. Yes. If you like, we'd love to share that information in our show notes, too. Absolutely. And maybe use it ourselves. <laughs> I know. These days, I mean, we have um, we have over 2,000 stencils. Wow. We do not discontinue stencils because here's the thing. We own lasers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we have a stencil from 10 years ago that we've only got five of. Somebody wants to buy number six. Okay, we can cut that. You know, yeah. so that's the big advantage yeah. of having a couple lasers in the house. So So do you have some sort of publishing schedule for new stencils? Do you release collections, themes? We do. We um we release all year long and um I I know when I started the business, the um Craft and Hobby Association kind of had this two time a year release thing and I just didn't care for that. I, I it just didn't make sense to me as, as a small mm-hmm. business. It made no sense right. whatsoever. Right. I didn't have the personnel to manage these huge releases twice a year. So it was much easier for me to manage on um, ongoing releases. And we also have always wanted to keep our um, manufacturing here in the United States. Every part of our business is here. Mm-hmm. So we figured, well, That's we could great. just release all year long. Yeah. Nice. So yes, we do have, um, Carol is my genius assistant who manages all that for me. And I, um, I'm one of these people I, I said before, I'm like the idea girl. Minutia drives me insane. (laughs) (laughs) So Carol handles the minutia. I'm just like, okay, I got this idea. Okay. 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 And I get all whipped up and I can articulate it. And then I'm like, 
they asked me the details. Uh uh-uh. uh. You're on to the next idea. I know. I- it sounds like you've put a great team together to be able to handle that. You know, your husband can handle the mm-hmm. the money details. Right. Carol can handle the work with people mm-hmm. and get the ideas together. You're just like throwing out the ideas. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, one of my initial ideas that everybody, uh, the two boys laughed at me. The boys are my husband and my uh-huh. my business partner, both my business partners. I said, you know, I think I want to do a club. And they're like, what do you mean? And I said, well, we would have like a group of three, three stencils a month that they'd get. And they'd pay 25 bucks a month and they'd get these three stencils and they'd also get a coupon and we'd make a video. So they get education and, you know, they could be in and out of the club anytime they wanted. And I mean, this was back. Oh, my gosh. It's been going on since I don't even know. I think 2012 might have been our first wow. year. Wow. And clubs like that are so popular these days. Right, right. And I had no idea. I just thought, wow, that'd be so fun, you know. And it has turned out to be amazing. Just an amazing um, community. Community for us. That group of people that are in our club. Yeah. You have a big group? Yeah, we do. I can't say, but we do. (laughs) Awesome. And, and that's on um, Facebook as well? Or do they, you have, they have a community a, um, for them? We have a group on Facebook, uh, one of the yeah. private groups where they yeah. all hang out and they do trades and all sorts of things. And I'm in and out. I jump in and out. And really a wonderful community. We've had, um, you know, some illness and this and that. And people get to know one another. And, like, oh, you know, I know somebody who could use a greeting card, that kind of thing. Just just this nice. lovely outpouring of of true concern for other people you know it's sweet it's great the communities that form around similar interests yeah it really is it really is it's the beautiful thing about art yeah it connects everybody mm-hmm. so our listeners for the most part are artists who are trying to get their thing going you know they may have They may just be starting or they've been doing it as a hobby forever or like you, they had another career. Well, like all of us, (laughs) they had another career and what everybody has in common is they're really trying to get their thing off the ground. So you've done that with a bunch of different things. What kind of advice would you give to people who are just getting started and trying to find their place? Well, um, I would say... Don't be afraid. Just, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway, that kind of thing, right? Right. You have to just move. If you're waiting for every single thing to be perfect and all the planets to align and, you know, that's never going to happen. You're going to just have to really move forward with it. And um, I have always felt that if I was being true to myself and being my own authentic person and giving it the best that I could, that that was all I could do as a human, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, regarding the logistics of it, (laughs) I took B-School with um, Marie Forleo. So did we. So did we. (laughs) Did you? I didn't know that. Yeah. And I got to say, that is really a good thing to do. Yeah, it sure is. It's a good program. It's a really good program if you're looking for somebody who's just like put all this stuff together and you just boom, 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 go through it, you know. 
And I took it too late. I had already done so much of the stuff before because I didn't have enough money to take it when I probably right. needed to take it. But right. anyway, it was still so advantageous to me. And um, so it's nice if you can do something like that or find a mentor who might help you, you know, if you have areas of weakness, which I know mine are, even though I do have a functioning business part of my brain, I think. I like to let that part of my brain atrophy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what your business partners are for. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So you're saying the things that um, the main thing that that we're all about, it's right in our name, Stardust. The most important thing is just get started. Don't let fear stop you from just getting started. Right. Right. I, I really do think that's just the key because I see... I see a lot of people or people that will come to me and ask me advice and people I see like running other businesses. And I, I kind of, I'm like, mm, I know what it is. They keep changing direction all the time. You have to have some, some level of consistency with whatever it is that you do also. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. just like throw it out there and expect some miracle to happen. You know, you have to method- methodically and consistently focus and do what it is that you believe in. Absolutely. Talk to us about what's next for you. Since the pandemic, it has caused a stir in me, (laughs) a stir. And I'm not sure what's next. I mean, Stencil Girl obviously is here to stay. I would like to get back to creating more of my own art. Honestly, I don't feel as though I necessarily have a true body of work right now because I Mm -hmm. spend so much time um, demoing the stencils and working with them. So I'd kind of like to get back to my body of work. I, um, what's next? You know, when I look around the mixed media world, I I talked to Kristen about this. I think everybody's art looks the same right now. There is a lot of stuff out there that all looks alike. And I haven't mm-hmm. seen this for a long time. You know, it takes a long time for everybody to catch up and all become the same. But we're there. We're there. Somebody needs to bust out and do something different. And I wouldn't mind being that person. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Do you think it's because we're all, everybody's taking so many classes these days that they end up just, everybody's being influenced by the same people and... I do. I do. I think we're in a uh, we're you know, I'm sure every generation thinks that they're in some unique position that no generation's ever been in before. But it seems like we're in some unique position where we have been, you know, in our home for a whole year just looking at the computer. Right. Mm -hmm. Watching imagery and seeking stimulation of one source or another. And the art has all become very distilled. And um, I don't know, I'm kind of I need to bust out of it for sure. All right. I can't wait to see what that looks like. It's time (laughs) to bust it out, Mary Beth. I know. I think we need to (laughs) shake it up, ladies. All right. Let's shake it up. So let me ask you, Mary Beth, I believe I just recently saw an announcement about a retreat slash workshop thing you're doing in Italy next year. 
Oh my God, no, it's this year. It's, it's in this September. Year? We've been waiting. It was supposed to be last year. Naturally, it didn't happen. Right. And so mm-hmm. we've been waiting to see if it was going to be possible this year. And it is. It's. Um, I work with a tour group called the Blue Walk. And two okay. ladies that... Um, are hilarious, knowledgeable, fun. They live in Italy. So it's mm-hmm. an art tour and um, it's fantastic. We've got a couple more spaces. This is very small group travel. So mm-hmm. I think we have like eight people signed up right now. And I, I don't think we want more than 10. So it's quite an opportunity if you're up for a trip to Italy. So where in Italy and what's involved? We are flying into um, to Venice, and uh, I love Venice. I know this was kind of like the parts of Italy I hadn't seen yet that I wanted to see. So we'll do Parma, Padua, Venice, and then we'll go across to um, Cinque Terre, like Como, mm. Milan, oh, wow. Rapallo, Portofino. I mean, it's just like, oh my gosh. That's a lot of places. How it's long a dream is trip. this trip? Well, there's two segments of it. So um, the first part is 10 days, and then there's another three days that you can add on. Wow. And is it travel the whole time? or No, is there they a- set it up so that we do like three days at a time. So we'll be in one area for like three days and then we'll mm-hmm. move to the next area for three days. Okay. It's a really nice pace. I've traveled with the group before and honestly never, ever had so much fun. They are just, they're friends. And what are you teaching? Um, they, well, I don't know. No. <laughs> We will be working in journals and we will do be doing some journaling that is reflective of the trip. I like to kind of be a hunter and gatherer. And um, Mm -hmm. I really like to flow with the trip and gather things Uh and put them in our journal. And so that when you come home, you can pick up that journal and it can instantly transport you back to that time. And you have amazing memories. That's what makes it so special it's all, for me. It's all about taking things in and feeding yourself so that you have things to work with. Absolutely. When you get home. And then we'll be doing other stuff too. We've got a cooking class scheduled and I believe there's like a ceramic class. There's all kinds of really fun things. It's, oh my gosh. They do an amazing trip. Just absolutely delightful. That sounds so fabulous. We'll link to that in the show notes too. So it if there's still spots when we release the episode and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Laura, how can we, uh, how can we manage to go on that trip? <laughs> I don't know. We've got to figure it out. I yeah. know. Oh my God. It'd be a blast to have you guys along. Oh, that would be so much fun. We would have so much fun. All right. They do, they do this great trip because it's not like super high end, but it's not low end. It's not like mm-hmm. you're backpacking either, you know? So it's kind of like every detail is attended to it. It's That's just nice. Cause we're way too old to go backpacking. I know. <laughs> and I'm way too stupid to figure out all the details. <laughs> it's like, I, um, I was the artist on a trip to Greece we did. And oh, my gosh, it was just idyllic. And they I, uh, live in Italy, so I they know Italy. Yeah. yeah. And I, I went to Paris a few years ago with a friend and we did urban sketching just on our own across Paris. It's sort of like what you were talking about. But um, but I still don't have all of my book three years later put together. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but I had so much fun doing it. And I loved that idea and that concept of gathering things, you know, in that moment and creating and stopping to see what you're looking at, like stopping to absorb it, because sometimes we get in that rush, rush, rush of life. And so when you're on a trip and you can just there's ways yeah. artistically to do like um, when we went to Greece and I think we'll probably do this again in Italy. I had them um, use that cyanotype. Uh, paper and mm-hmm. we gathered some foliage and laid it out on the paper so you have these the imagery of the exact foliage nice. and and that was really cool and then I love doing rubbings where you can of like you know city names and textures that you find yeah. along the way yeah. things like that that are elements in your journal that are literally exactly where you were oh and we saw a black beach and we were staying on a black beach in Greece and we all glued some of the black sand in our journal. Nice. <laughs> you know. That reminds oh, so cool. That reminds me of being in Monet's garden in Giverny and um and picking up some flower Did you steal petals. A flower? <laughs> I didn't pick anything off. I didn't pick anything that was growing, but I did take some flower petals that were on the ground. Uh-huh. And nice, they're nice. Still, they're still tucked in a sketchbook. Oh wow, that's so cool. Love it. I think that's one of my favorite places on the planet, actually. Oh my god, it's so beautiful. Giverny. I have never so been beautiful. there. I'd like to go there. Yeah. Well, by all means, do it. Mm. Yeah. Mary Beth, we just want to thank you for being here today and sharing your advice and your adventure of Stencil Girl that you've had over the last, what, 10, 11 years. Thank you so much. Thank um, you. It was really fun. For today's Stardust Society show notes and links to all things Mary Beth Shaw and Stencil Girl, go to stardustsociety.com slash stencilgirl. If you've enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star rating and review. Reviews help us reach more Stardusts like you and keep us inspired to continue creating new episodes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.